After more than a decade in the House of Representatives, Oregon's 5th District Congressman Kurt Schrader is asking voters for another term. But first, the moderate Democrat faces a primary challenge from the left. Schrader joins us today to talk about the coronavirus outbreak, addressing climate change, the race for president, and his own re-election campaign. From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Oregon 5th District Congressman Kurt Schrader is seeking re-election for the sixth time. In the May Democratic primary, he faces one of his toughest races yet against fellow Democrat Milwaukee Mayor Mark Gamba. Let's take a look at what the 5th District includes. It covers Clackamas, Marion, Polk, Lincoln and Tillamook counties, and parts of Benton and Multnomah counties. It's considered a swing district, with Democrats holding only about a four-point registration edge over Republicans. Schrader is a moderate House member, part of what's called the Blue Dog Coalition. Challenger Mayor Gamba's running to Schrader's left. He's made climate change his top issue because he says Schrader hasn't done enough to stand up to the fossil fuel industry. Congressman Schrader joins us to tell us why he thinks he best represents the 5th District and deserves to be reelected. And as a member of the House Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee, we'll get his take on the government's handling of the coronavirus. Welcome to my guest, Oregon Congressman Kurt Schrader. It's nice Thanks, to have Laura. you back again. It's good to be back. Appreciate Let's start with, with the coronavirus, <laughs> sure. top of mind for a lot of people. Oregon's first confirmed case is someone that lives in Washington County, but works at Forest Hills Elementary School in Lake Oswego right. in your district. Right. So you have even more of a, a special interest in this. We knew corona, coronavirus was around for a while. Mm -hmm. We saw it in China. How prepared do you think we were when it arrived here? Oh, I think fairly well prepared. Uh, you know, the Communicable Disease Center has been on top of this. We've had a lot of briefings. Uh, my congressional team uh, gets briefed every day on latest developments uh, overseas and here in this country. Uh, we have a great public health system. Uh, it is, I think, uh, the bulwark of keeping all of us safe and healthy. It's not just the private practitioners, the hospitals. It's our public health system. Clean water, uh, sanitation, the whole nine yards. It's we're, we're very, very fortunate. Uh, and I think we're, we're in good shape. You know, the, we have had uh, very few cases. Uh, I think uh, Superintendent De La Cruz handled things in Lake Oswego extremely well out of an abundance of caution. And I think that's the buzzword, the abundance of caution. Uh, she closed the school just to be sure, check, clean things out, make sure everything's okay. Uh, get more information on who the worker was exposed to uh, and make uh, calculations from that point forward. I just don't want people to get overly concerned. It's good to be concerned, but uh, if you, you make this into more than it is, uh, I think you undermine the integrity of the system. And I mean, we're, we're well prepared and people should feel comfortable. Listen to the CDC. Don't listen to social media. Listen to you guys, CDC stuff that comes out on reputable news channels. There have been questions and concerns, though, about access to testing in Oregon and Washington from citizens and doctors, especially in Washington, where they've been hit harder. Right. Senator Patty Murray from Washington testified before the Health Committee on the Senate uh, earlier this week. Let's listen to her and, and her frustration. I'm hearing from people who are sick, who want to get tested, are not being told where to go. I'm hearing that even when people do get tested, and it's very few so far, the results are taking way longer to get back to them. The administration has had months to prepare for this, and it's unacceptable that people in my state and nationwide can't even get an answer 
as to whether or not they are infected. We're taping this on Friday and late sure. this week. The CDC is trying to make more tests available, right. but people are asking, did the failure to provide adequate testing early on allow coronavirus to get a foothold in this country? No, the answer is no. Uh, my guess is that uh, this coronavirus has been around for a while. It's probably masqueraded in this country for years as a common cold or the flu that we all know and prepare for every winter, just like we do uh, for other other problems that we we get with respiratory diseases. So I, I, I don't think we're very unprepared. Uh, I don't want to politicize this. I mean, the good news for America is just, just the other day, Congress, both the Senate and House, Republicans, Democrats, President of the United States, passed an $8.3 billion package to make sure the CDC has all the resources that it needs. Uh, we, we put some money into innovation and research for vaccines. Vaccines won't help us this season, let's be honest. Uh, but hopefully, if this becomes an endemic problem like the flu, we'll be able to take care of it. Good therapeutics, uh, diagnostics, that's the way it should be. We're not going to test everybody. That would be inappropriate, uh, frankly. Uh, I think if you're a person that's older, uh, like the poor cases in Washington, I feel for Senator Murray, uh, you've got this older population with serious comorbidities, pro other health co uh, problems. They should be tested. Everyone in that facility should, ha should have access. So let's make sure the, all the protective equipment, all the testing goes for those that really, really need it. You're a veterinarian and you've long been a voice for something called zoonotic diseases, which are viruses that start in animals and then mutate to affect humans. And you've teamed up with another vet, right. a Republican mm -hmm. lawmaker, Yoho from Florida, on something called the One Health Act, right. something I understand you're working on before yeah. the coronavirus yeah. appeared. Tell us what that is. Yeah, ironically, uh, Ted and I, uh, he's a Republican, I'm a Democrat, uh, but we're both veterinarians. And I understand that veterinarians, quite frankly, are trained uh, more uh, thoroughly in uh, zoonotic diseases because we have to worry about how pets and animals transmit diseases potentially to their owners. Uh, and we've seen a, a big uh, gap in the coordination that occurs both internationally, nationally, uh, you know, state-wise or at the local level. There should be one uh, approach to these types of issues. We saw earlier where uh, you know, had uh, people interviewing folks coming off the plane in China. The CDC uh, had its protocol. The Health and Human Services people had their protocol. Shouldn't be that way. We should have a much more coordinated approach, involve the veterinary community that knows these, these diseases from the inside out, uh, environmental people that understand the factors that uh, make people more susceptible, and of course our medical professionals. So uh, I think this one health approach uh, is probably the smart thing to do. Wish we had it before this. We'd hopefully be a little more co coordinated and allay a lot of people's fears. Yeah, final message about coronavirus to Oregonians. Yeah, be smart, be but be measured in your response. You don't need masks unless you're, you know, seriously ill or older. Uh, and you don't need to clean out the grocery shelves, for goodness sakes. Your kids are probably very, very safe, even in China. Kids under 10, zero deaths. Uh, kids under 19, you have 0.1% of the population that's had serious problems. So everyone have, please sit back, be smart, but be measured in your response. Let's shift gears and talk about climate change. Uh, Mayor Gamba, one of your opponents, has made that a central part of his campaign to build his case. He says Milwaukee is one of the most friendly states when it comes to friendly cities when it comes to climate, and it will run a 100% renewable energy by 2035. And he calls your approach to climate change lukewarm. Do you think you've stood up enough to the fossil fuel industry when it comes to climate change? Well, I was doing climate change stuff long before uh, my. Uh, uh, opponent even 
ventured into politics. Uh, back in the 80s, I passed a solar ordinance in the city of Canby. I developed a, a tree planting ordinance where there was none before, trying to envision the impacts that could occur with climate change long before it became popular, Laurel. Uh, I voted on a cap and trade bill when I first came to the United States Congress, supporting investments uh, to make sure that we could get to more zero emissions over a period of time, big investments in renewable energy. Uh, nearly lost my election over that, by the way, but uh, it was the right thing to do, and I'm going to do that again. And that's why right now I'm tired of the rhetoric. I mean, it's one thing to wave a flag around and say we're going to do this overnight. That's not going to happen. Let's get a let's make sure there's a bipartisan approach that can stand the test of time. Look what happened to the ACA. Great bill getting whittled away because we couldn't get bipartisan support. So I'm partnering with a, a friend of mine, colleague from West Virginia, Republican from West Virginia, coal country, uh, to get our country down to uh, carbon emission standards would be near zero in our power plants by 2050, kind of mimicking the timeline we have here in Oregon for the discussion we've had here. Uh, the goal would be to make some huge investments in research, technology, and innovation over the next 10 years uh, to give uh, all energy sectors the opportunity to become, you know, carbon neutral or zero carbon emissions from those power plants. Uh, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. We've got some environmental groups on board. We've got some industry people very interested uh, and hopefully have legislative language uh, within a month or so. Well, let's take a look at some of the things that you mentioned that are in that bill that you're working on. It includes 10 years of public and private investments in clean energy innovation and infrastructure development. The scale of federal investment would be in the tens of billions of dollars annually. There would be a federal clean energy standard. Power companies would have to start meeting clean energy goals within 10 years. The power sector would achieve an 80% reduction in emissions by 2050. You know, a lot of scientists, activists, citizens say, we don't have 10 years. We need to be doing something right now. Doesn't this take too well, long? This, no, this is right now. This is how you get the ball rolling. Uh, we can, again, be slogans, Green New Deal isn't going to happen. That has zero support in the, in the Republicans, zero support from the President of the United States. It's not going to happen. Are we going to argue about this for the next 10 or 15 years? I did cap and trade 10 years ago. We haven't done anything since. There's been no bipartisan efforts. This is the only bipartisan effort, Laurel, that will actually get things going right now. And within that time span, we can make a huge difference. I think, I'm talking to some of my Democratic colleagues that are engineers, we're, we're engineers, now members of Congress, they see carbon capture out of the atmosphere as possible. I mean, that's a game changer for our country, for the world. And if we don't do develop smart carbon sequestration or carbon capture techniques, we're still going to be at risk because China and India are huge players. But your bill doesn't seem to have any teeth in it. Even oh. your press release says these aren't regulations. Are these just oh, suggestions? No. No, these, no, these are standards, clean energy standards. And we'll set it up where there's a glide path. If you're not on that glide path within the five to 10 year span, your plant will be shut down. And people ask, well, why would you give taxpayer dollars tax breaks to the very companies that got us into this in the first place. Well, yeah, I would argue that these companies didn't purposely pollute the atmosphere. Uh, back in the day, no one thought of carbon emissions as a problem at all. Global warming has come on in the last 20, 25 years, as I mentioned at the outset. So let's bring them back into the fold. Let's, if they want to survive, because they're not surviving, they're, they're, the, the utilities are moving away. Uh, from some of those uh, sources of energy at this point in time. There's a built-in center for those guys to come to the table. And there are economies in the South that just depend on this. You know, it's easy for us in the Pacific Northwest to talk about renewable energy. When I first got elected, I went to Congress, and I sit next to a buddy of mine, new Democrat uh, from Ohio, and said, John, isn't it great? We, you know, we just got 
elected overwhelming Democratic majority. We can work on renewable energy together. We campaigned on that. He turns to me and goes, what are you talking about, Kurt? I'm 98% coal. I'm from Ohio. I didn't campaign on renewable energy. We have to get people like that on board. A lot of Democrats are also criticizing you for a vote that you made last summer not to raise the federal minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $15. You were only one of six Democrats who voted against the House bill. Even three Republicans voted for it. It passed the House, died in the Senate. Why did you vote no against raising the minimum wage? Well, because I had a better bill that raised the minimum wage to $15, phased in over time, that actually respected the fact that the purchasing power is different in different parts of the country. I actually used Oregon's approach. Uh, I thought Oregon did a, did a good job. They figured out that uh, the costs of uh, uh, different products and services are different in rural areas, maybe suburban areas from downtown Portland. Again, let's bring people on. My bill actually had a chance of passing the, the Senate. To your point, that bill had no chance of passing the Senate. Would have cost millions of jobs. My bill would have cost some jobs because you're raising that wage and businesses would choose not to employ people, but much less so because it respected the diversity of rural America as well as urban America. Do you see another minimum wage bill coming up in the next Congress? Uh, I hope so. I hope it's our bill. You know, hey, bizarre bill. I think everyone I talk to, I don't care what industry you're in, what part of the country you come from, 725 is absurd. You know, it's a travesty to even have that out there as a benchmark, for goodness sakes. So let's raise it now. Let's do it in a way that makes sense that you can get people to agree to, because to your point earlier, we got to get something done. At a recent town hall meeting you had in Newport, a voter asked you a question, why you take big donations from big corporations in the pharmaceutical, the engine, or insurance, health and energy corporations. This voter asked, how can we expect you to represent us and not the people who are giving you the money? How do you answer that? Well, I get a lot of money from private individuals too. I think over 7,000 people have contributed to my campaigns over the years. Uh, I think almost 1,000 so far this year. Uh, so we get a variety of sources, uh, and if these companies think they're buying my vote, they're sorely mistaken. The pharmaceutical industry uh, uh, has uh, taken it on the chin from me in the last two Congresses. I was one of the only members to pass a bill in the last Congress that reined in the outrageous price hikes that Martin Shrikelli and some of those hedge fund managers that buy these one-off companies and start charging two, three, four, five, six hundred percent increases to consumers. And already this Congress, I've passed two bills uh, that uh, rein in some of the games that go on with generic pharmaceutical companies and some of the brand name companies trying to you know, get rebates uh, inappropriately. So they're not getting a good bang well, why, for their Why buck. take their, their big money anyway then? Well, unfortunately, uh, thanks to Citizens United, uh, uh, you know, the, to be able to campaign, uh, to be able to make sure you're not one billionaire away from extinction, you have to be able to raise money to get your, get your, your, your voice out. Uh, I look forward to the campaigns because I can actually talk about what I've really done, not what some social media guru or person with an edge to their, their, or slant to their own personal agenda thinks I've done. I can actually talk about what I've done. I've supported campaign finance reform when I was in the state legislature. I've introduced a constitutional amendment every Congress to repeal basically Citizens United. It'd be lovely not to have to do that at the end of the day. Do you but, feel pressure that you have to take that kind of money? No, nah, there's no pressure, but if you want to be able to succeed, you don't you know, go into a, a, 
a fight without one hand tied behind your back. That's just not very, very, very smart. You got to be able to get your message out. And what we've seen is that a lot of these billionaires will decide they want to buy a congressional seat. I've had several colleagues lose their congressional seat because they were unprepared, didn't have the resources to push back against millions of dollars put in on a whim, much like Michael Bloomberg did. In so the you think you'd be at a disadvantage if you took a pledge like Mark Gamba not oh, yeah. to take money from from? Yeah, tax. and I think it sends a bad message that you know all businesses are horrible people. These business packs, the contributions come from the employees. I mean, my opponent obviously doesn't understand. This isn't big executives, you know, uh, or shareholders buying a vote. These are employees that are concerned about their company and believe in the mission of their company. Most of these businesses in our, our country are small businesses. Some are larger businesses. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are if we didn't have some of these folks employing good, hardworking Americans providing family wage jobs. About health care, a lot of progressive Democrats are pushing for a single payer system. It seems to be gaining some momentum. You've never been for that. You've always wanted to tweak the Affordable Care Act. You mentioned it earlier. Why? Why not a single payer system? Well, actually, a single payer system is losing momentum, Laurel. Uh, what is happening is people are waking up and realizing uh, that Medicare for all gets rid of Medicare. Uh, Medicare for all means your union health care plan that you've paid into, given up wage increases, goes away. Uh, that you no longer get to see your, your private doctor. You're part of a, a bureaucratic system. People are not so inclined to that. I will tell you personally, my daughter, one of my daughters lives in England. She has to wait in, get, uh, wait in a queue to get to see weeks to see her primary care doctor for my grandkids. I have uh, a granddaughter that's got a po potential genetic disorder, needs to get a test, it's gonna take a year. So this single payer is not all it's cracked up to be. And again, much like with climate change and some of these other issues, we need to be having universal access to care right now. The Affordable Care Act was revolutionary in the day. Again, a tough vote. My first election, you know, I walk in and we're voting on the Affordable Care Act where the government's stepping in, making sure 20 million Americans who never had health care before now have access. There's a sliding scale of subsidies to make it affordable uh, as the income levels go up. Uh, we can fix uh, the problem we have now is with middle middle income folks that make just enough not to get a subsidy. Let's fix that. Let's provide a reinsurance system. Uh, let's make sure that we have the cost sharing thing figured out. Let's give the states some waivers. These HSAs may actually play a positive role for that type of middle income group. Uh, I had a bipartisan approach to that in the last Congress. Uh, got it almost to the finish line. Then we ran out of time. Congress adjourned. But there's a pro way to do that and get universal access right now. There's some increasing concern in Congress about the impact of coronavirus on the nation's supply of pharmaceuticals because a lot of those active ingredients that go into those drugs come from China. Right. So you're working on a bill to try Almost to all of them. work on concerns. I think that's eye-opening to a lot of people, but you want to try to help uh, alleviate some of those concerns with the drug supply chain. How? Well, uh, our committee, the Energy and Commerce Committee, my health subcommittee, uh, had uh, several folks come in. One was an author of a book called China RX. Uh, and it's personal for her. She had a, a loved one that had some serious issues uh, be, and they trying to get medication. It could be, the serious issues resulted from improper active ingredients. The active ingredients came from China. And when she dug into it and we've dug into it, almost all the active pharmaceutical ingredients in any product you buy, aspirin to you know, diabetes medication to anything, all active ingredients from China, some from India, but all overseas. So we are basically beholden to the Chinese 
for all our pharmaceuticals. How comfortable does that make us feel? Not very comfortable. So what we're trying to do is, is and we're working with the pharmaceutical industry, both brand and generic, is our way we can set up uh, some plants that, uh, the, that we could work with to set up a platform that if we need some of these active ingredients and medications that are not so profitable that, you know, frankly, many people in this country want to start making them, let's make them profitable by helping set up a, a base and then we keep the prices down for the consumer at the end of the day because we, the taxpayers, own part of that production facility. So it'd be a pretty cool opportunity for us to actually get ahead of the curve. This coronavirus brings the point home. If we can't get our products from China, oh, by the way, China has a huge problem, right, with this thing. So is it really safe to import stuff from China at this point in time? Drives the point home, we need to have that capability in the United States of America for our security and our So we our would health. have make some of the active ingredients exactly here, is that correct. what you're saying? That's exactly correct. Big, big week for the Democrats uh, politically with Super Tuesday in yeah. the books, a big night for former Vice President Joe Biden. Some people had counted him out until South Carolina, big landslide win there, and then right. Super Tuesday with uh, 14 states voting. And we can tell that you're a supporter of Joe Biden. Yes, you announced uh, your endorsement for him right here on Straight right. Talk last summer. Let's listen to what you said. Well, there's only one candidate that can beat Donald Trump. And I think uh, if that candidate doesn't materialize at the end, uh, Democrats uh, will lose and we'll have uh, President Donald Trump for another, uh, another four years. We need a president that can bring us together, uh, get working men and women back into, uh, uh, into the Democratic fold if Democrats are going to win. Well, you said that there's only one person that can beat Donald Trump. Who is that person? That's Joe Biden. There's Joe Biden. So do you think he'll be the eventual nominee? It's down to really Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden now. Well, I supported Joe Biden, so I hope he is. Uh, we've got a good contest going on. Uh, uh, I welcome the contest. Uh, it's important to get all the ideas out there, and it helps you develop your platform and get a feel for where America wants to go. Uh, but again, as I said then, and I'll say it again now, the reason Democrats lost the presidency is because working men and women uh, in the trades and first responders walked away from the Democratic Party. We need someone who can relate to them. Some people thought, oh, Michael Bloomberg could do it. I don't think Michael Bloomberg relates to the average American like Joe Biden does. You gotta have confidence in your leaders. That's a problem with the current president, to be very honest. This president needs to exude confidence. Stuff like coronavirus or dealing with Iran, the China issues we just talked about, uh, pharmaceutical issues. We need someone that can inspire confidence in our country. And there is only one man that can bring working men and women back, and that is Joe Biden. It's not about, is he the best? Do I like him more or less? Who can beat Donald? If you're a Democrat, who can beat Donald Trump? Do you think Bernie Sanders could beat him? No. And who would you pair up with Joe Biden as far as a running mate? Well, I don't know. I, uh, I'll leave that to the rest of my Democratic colleagues to figure out uh, hopefully something that would complement what he brings to the table in terms of seniority and uh, statesmanship and understanding the process. Uh, maybe someone uh, a little younger, a uh, little different portfolio. We'll see. Just about 30 seconds. What if Bernie Sanders is the nominee? What do you think that means? What's the impact? Well, you know, we'll work hard. Uh, uh, Donald Trump is, is uh, a tough opposition. He showed that in the last election cycle by taking out a very knowledgeable uh, Hillary Clinton that frankly had a lot of experience. Uh, so it's going to be going to be hard. It's going to be very, very difficult uh, to see. We'll have to work exceptionally hard. I, I just hope he can appeal to those working men and women I talked about.
Congressman Schrader, thank you for being here on Straight Talk. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Laurel. We want to let you know that we will have Congressman Schrader's Democratic opponent, Milwaukee Mayor Mark Gamba, on the show in April. We want to thank you for watching and listening. And don't forget, there's that QR code again to download our new podcast. You can also go to wherever you get your podcast normally. Just search for KGW Straight Talk. And we'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a great week.